Uh, we're turning to God's Word and we're journeying on in our uh, journey through Matthew and uh, our Kingdom Come series. Uh, and we're uh, reading today from Matthew chapter 21. Uh, and there today, it's in your uh, church Bibles. It's on page 989 of the church Bible. If you'd like to follow along, uh, it would be great to have uh, God's Word open in front of you, uh, however you do that, and we'll follow along, we'll read together, uh, and we'll be looking then at Matthew uh, 21, verses 12 to 17 together. So page 989 of your church Bible. Um, so Jesus is on his way uh, into Jerusalem, uh, and it's, it's at this stage, uh, he has journeyed into Jerusalem, and he's coming to the temple, and now we're, t- we're picking up the story there with Jesus at the temple. So it says, Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, he replied. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Amen. So the events that uh, we've just read about as just now are recorded in all four gospel accounts. So when we see something that's recorded in all four gospel accounts, it makes us think, well, here's something in here that God really doesn't want us to miss, that he really wants us to get. So what might that be this morning? What does Jesus want to say to us this morning as, as by his spirit and by his word, he comes to be amongst us? He comes to our temple here today, to to this place, to speak to us collectively and individually. And we can use the word temple in two different senses, really, I guess. There's that sense in which our church building performs something of the function of the Old Testament temple. God's people came together to worship, and we come together to worship here. In Psalm 122, the psalmist writes, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Of course, we can worship God anywhere, but generally and often we meet together here, don't we, to worship, just as folks in the Old Testament would have come to the temple. And then there's the New Testament sense in which as God's people, we, we are the temple of God. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he writes, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? So we can see that if we use both of these biblical definitions this morning, we, we, we are both, the temple is both a place and a people. A place and a people. And, and we can bear both these concepts in mind this morning as we, as we look at Jesus coming to his temple, to, to this place and to us as his people. And I think as we look at this passage together this morning, it's good to know something of a little bit of the background of the temple, that temple in Jerusalem. In speaking through the prophet Isaiah and referring to the temple there, the Lord had said, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain, 
and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my altar will be a house of prayer for all nations. We see that the temple was to be a place of holiness, of worship, and of welcome. And the temple was at the very heart of Jerusalem, at the very heart of the Jewish nation, God's Old Testament people. And so this morning we read that Jesus coming to that temple. So let us look for a moment at the temple in Jerusalem. Back in 2 Samuel 7, King David had had this conversation with God where David was appalled that he was living in this wonderful cedar wooden house and God's presence was, was dwelling in a box, in a tent. And David said, that's, that's not good enough. That's not the way it should be. And he had this conversation with God. And God said to him, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you and your own flesh and blood. And I will establish his kingdom. And he, he is the one who will build a house for my name. So just as, as God had promised and, and prophesied, then David's son, King Solomon, Around 1000 BC, he built the temple as a home for the Ark of the Covenant, in which and around which God's manifest presence was believed to dwell. And that was placed in the Holy of Holies in the temple. And the people dedicated the first temple, it tells us in 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 11, it tells us when the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud, that's the presence of God. The cloud filled the temple of the Lord and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. What an experience of the manifest presence of God that that must have been that day. I can only imagine. But don't we long for it to happen again? Don't we long for it to happen right here in this place for the glory of the Lord to fill the temple? So Solomon's temple stood for around 400 years and then King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians invaded, they, they invaded Jerusalem in 586 BC. They raided the temple. They took the furnishings. They burned the temple down and they took the Israelites off to exile to Babylon. And those Jewish exiles lived there for 70 years in mourning for their country and for their temple. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land, they lamented in Psalm 137. And then moving on, the Persians came to power over Babylon. And King Cyrus gave the Jewish exiles permission to return to Jerusalem around 515 BC. And under Nehemiah and Ezra... And you can read about this there. Under Nehemiah and Ezra, they rebuilt the temple. And we read of the new temple's dedication in Ezra 6. It says the temple was completed on the third day of the month Adar, in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles, they celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. It was another God-filled, joyous occasion at the temple. And so it was to this temple that Jesus came. It was to this temple that Jesus would later come, and we read of him visiting it on a number of occasions. It first tells us in in Luke 2 of him being brought along by his family as a little child. And it says, When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. 
And then we later read in Luke chapter 2 of another visit to the temple as a young boy of 12 years of age. And as they leave the Jerusalem to go back home, Mary and Joseph realize that Jesus isn't with them. And, and so they, they go searching for him. And it tells us that after three days, they found him in the temple courts. And when they did, Jesus said to them, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? I had to be in my father's house. Jesus longing for his father's presence and his father's house. And it's to this father's house that he now returns in Matthew chapter 21 that we've just read. Jesus is now in Jerusalem. He's moving through the last week of his earthly ministry. And he will visit the temple many times over the week. Not now to listen to the teachers, but to teach those who will listen. Tens of thousands of fellow pilgrims are there in Jerusalem gathered for the Passover. And Jesus is back and forward during that last week, teaching the people as the prophet and the priest that he is. But, but as he arrives and before he teaches anything, he reacts to what he sees. And he challenges the traders and moneylenders, the money changers, the priests and teachers, the, the religious people. And I wonder, I wonder what Jesus sees as by his spirit he arrives amongst us here this morning. I wonder what he sees. Oh, we're not perfect. We're not perfect, but we are sinners saved by grace. Praise God. That's the good news of the gospel. We're not perfect, but we're a work in progress. And so as Jesus moves amongst us by his spirit and as he speaks to us by his word, I wonder how he's going to progress that work this morning. How is he, in what way is he going to challenge us here today? What does he want to change about us, both individually and as a congregation? What does he want want to do, in a sense, to drive out as he comes afresh to purify this place of worship? And what does he want to drive out of your life and mine as he comes afresh to purify us as worshippers, as temples of the living God? As Jesus approached the temple, you see, he would have seen that wonderful temple crowning the temple mount. Drawing closer, he entered into the the outer courts where the Gentiles, the non-Jews, had come to worship. And as Jesus entered the, the, the courts of the Gentiles, they were trying to worship. They were trying to get close to God. But instead, they were being distracted. They were being repelled. They were being repelled by this particular crooked group of money changers and traders and and religious people. You you, you see, the process was that as the worshippers arrived in Jerusalem, they would make their way up to the temple. And they had to change their own local currency that they had with them into temple shackles. Because only temple shackles could be used to buy the lamb or the birds to sacrifice and worship at the temple. But the problem was, the problem was these money changers and traders, they had had cornered the market right there at the altar. And they were clearly exploiting the pilgrims. Their services, yes, had to be carried out, but the exchange rate didn't need to be so exorbitant. And the animals didn't have to be sold at such a high price. These traders and money changers, they were lining their own pockets. 
They were exploiting the pilgrims. And the priests were standing by watching and allowing it all to happen. And Jesus quotes from Jeremiah when he says that they have made his father's house a den of robbers. A den of robbers, he calls them. Imagine you're stood there at, at, at those tables that day. Those traitors, those money changers, those words from Jesus begin to sting. And then as this carpenter from Nazareth goes into action, throwing his weight and their tables about a bit, they begin to realize that, no, no, it's not going to be business as usual today. It's not going to be business as usual today. For today, Jesus is in town. And today, things are going to change. And there is no gentle Jesus, meek and mild, at the temple that day. Jesus was filled with a righteous anger. Jesus was filled with a righteous anger because of their own sinfulness and selfishness. They had simply lost sight of God and lost sight of what the temple was there for. And I suppose, I suppose that's something that we too need to be aware of, isn't it? Because as fallen human beings, our natural inclination is away from God. And so we will, we will often want to remind ourselves that we and our building, we're here to worship God, to help others, to meet with Him and to worship Him. And we need to be intentional. We need to be intentional. Every activity, every organization, every group, we need to be regularly refocusing. Refocusing on the Lord, worshiping Him. That's what this building is for. That's what we are for. So we need to constantly focus and refocus on being the temple of the living God. So what will that look like? Well, firstly, we see that the temple was to be a place of prayer. My house will be called a house of prayer. God's house is to be a house of prayer. And really, that is what we strive to, to have at the heart of our building and at the heart of our lives as well. Prayer. In our current mission statement, we have this on the, on the, on the cover here. That our vision, a praying, worshipping Christian community. A praying and so to this end, we have times of opportunity, times of prayer, many times of, of opportunity for prayer here in, in Orangefield. We meet for prayer. We, we pray in our Sunday services. We have our prayer ministry at the front of the church after every service. We have our quiet room available for quieter times of prayer. We run our midweek prayer meetings, continuing on Wednesdays, and these have already been alluded to as well. On Wednesdays through Lent, we produce our prayer diary. There's a new one for April and May on the vestibule table. Please pick one up if you don't have one and pray in an informed way around our church's activities. We gather as prayer triplets. We, we gather for times of prayer in our small groups and home groups. And, and yes, we have our 24-7 prayer event happening during Holy Week. From next Sunday, we'll be turning that area of the church into a prayer zone. And there will be non-stop week of prayer for a whole week as we wait expectantly and longingly for God to move, for God to come and, and move in our church, in our community, our city, and our nation. And you'd be very welcome to sign up for a slot if you haven't had a chance to do that yet. 
And we've especially designated uh, from 6 to 7 p.m. For, uh, as family slots. So let me encourage you to bring your children or your grandchildren along and be part of that prayer event as well. And let me thank Matthew and Karis for leading us in prayer this morning as well. And for others who help with the offering. It's wonderful to have our, our children involved in our, our prayer times. Our prayer zone will be for everyone. If you'd like to sign up, then please speak with, with Kirsten or Suzanne. So God's temple was to be a place of prayer. The temple was to be a place of the Word, where the Word was proclaimed. Psalm, Psalm 40, for instance, the writer states, I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. And that's how Jesus goes about purifying the temple. Yes, he acts. He certainly acts. But he also simply reintroduces the word of God. He introduces the word of God and he calls the people back to to what they were always supposed to be. He calls them back to the word of God, back to reading their Bibles and living it out. Quoting from scripture, Isaiah 56, Jesus says, It is written. It is written. And then again, quoting scripture, Psalm 8, with regards to praise from the infants, he says to the religious leaders, have you never read? Have you never read? He says to the the priests and the teachers of the law, wow, feel the sting there. He's saying, guys, you guys are hanging around the temple and looking all holy and all religious and all, but are you even reading your Bible? It is written. God has given us his word. God has done his bit. But have you never read, said Jesus? Are we doing ours? Jesus simply brought the people back to the Bible. And at OPC, we have many opportunities for that as well. In our vision priorities, the Word. We read our Bible. We read our Bibles. Plenty of opportunities. We have around 18 small groups. We have 10 community Bible experience groups. All these groups meeting at different times and different, uh, different days of the week and all opportunities to come together with other people and read the Word together. Uh, if you're not part of a small group, then we'd love to encourage you to join one. And, and you can speak with, with Peter or... I'm not going to ask Peter to put his hand up again. <laughs> speak with, with Peter or, or Robin or myself or Gareth and we can soon connect you with a group. We also have our Bible reading notes that... that for use during private devotional times. And, and let's be doing what it says, what we say on the tin, folks. Let's be reading our Bibles. Out here, in here and out there, privately and with others. The temple was to be a place of prayer, a place, a place of the Word. It was also to be a place of inclusion. A place of inclusion. Uh, Jesus, God had said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. All nations and all sorts of people. And I love that we have here at Orangefield people from a number of different nations and a wide variety of backgrounds. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we had just a much more diverse church family here? A little microcosm of heaven. People from every tribe and tongue and nation and language. So let us be inviting those people to worship. Let's be encouraging those people to worship and fellowship in this house of prayer for all nations. The temple was to be a place of, for people of all nations and all backgrounds. And it was to be a place for people of all ages. 
from, from the most senior to the youngest. And I love that a couple of weeks ago we celebrated together a uh, 97th birthday of one of our members. And at the same time, little babes in arms in our congregation. It was beautiful from the senior to the youngest, all together before God. And here, quoting from Psalm 8, Jesus says, From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. And at one point in his ministry, Jesus called a little child to him. And he held that child up as a role model. And he said, Unless we become like a little child, unless we have a childlike faith, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Isaiah, speaking of the coming kingdom, he says, And a little child shall lead them. A little child shall lead them. But the Pharisees were raging when the little children led them. Oh, we won't want to be raging. We want to be rejoicing when a little child leads us in worship or in ministry. Helps us to understand and to have that childlike faith that Jesus longs for us to have. And we're so blessed to have such wonderful people involved with our children's work and, and so many families come along to Orangefield as, as part of our wider church family. But let's be increasingly welcoming those children with open arms and helping them to discover that faith, that childlike faith that Jesus commends to us. The temple was to be a place of prayer, of the word, of inclusion. It was to be a place of healing. Exodus 15 and verse 26. I am the Lord who heals you, says Yahweh. The maker of heaven and earth. I am the Lord who heals you. But you see, there doesn't seem to have been very much healing happening at the temple that day. At least not until Jesus turned up. Because then in verse 14 it says that the blind and the lame came to Jesus at the temple. And he he healed them. Well, so we too, folks, we too want to come to Jesus and we want to be open to his healing physically and spiritually, mentally and emotionally. Let us be a place and a people of healing because ours is the God who heals. And fifthly and finally for this morning, the temple was to be a place of praise, a place of praise. King David in Psalm 100 calls the people to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. But there was no praise. There was no praise, not at least until the children led the way. Shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. So again, let us follow their example and be known as a people and a place of praise. Hosanna, to the son of David. <clears throat> you see, I think that ultimately the temple had settled into being something that it just wasn't supposed to be. And I suppose in many ways it was just so much more tidy and easily managed that way. It seems that really until Jesus entered the temple that day, everything was kind of sitting pretty. The money changers and the traders were on to a nice little earner. The priests and the, the teachers were getting on doing their own thing. There was no blind or lame people around. The children were seen and not heard. Everything was sitting pretty, but pretty dead. 
pretty dead. And then along comes Jesus. And then along comes Jesus and, well, basically all heaven breaks loose. His holiness drives out the corruption and the sin. His life drives out the dead ritual and traditionalism. He purifies the temple. He recovers and he restores and he returns it to what it was always supposed to be. A place of prayer. The word, inclusion, healing and praise. The problem was that the temple had gotten so far away from God that the people had become indifferent. Indifferent to what was going on. Perhaps they hadn't even realized that they'd slid so far away from God and his worship. I was coming into church the other day and I bumped into one of our neighbors uh, crossing the car park and he was all very excited about some, uh, some new tadpoles that he had got for his new garden pond. Uh, a big bag of tadpoles and he was very excited about them and, uh, and he was excited about how these tadpoles would one day turn into lovely little frogs that would hop around his pond and hop around his garden. Now don't be trying this at home. But they say, they say that if you drop a frog into a pot of boiling water, it jumps straight back out again, and rightly so. <laughs> but, <laughs> wouldn't you? But if, on the other hand, if, on the other hand, you put a frog in cold water, apparently, apparently, <laughs> it doesn't even realize what's happening. And it just stays in the water, and yes, the boiling water kills it. You see, as the water heats up, death just kind of sneaks up on the frog. Slowly but surely. And this was what was happening in the temple. To the money changers, the traders, the religious people, they just slid away from, from God. Slowly but surely. And by the time Jesus showed up, they were pretty spiritually dead. So just as I finish, just as I finish, maybe each of us needs to check ourselves this morning. Maybe we're full on for God, and that's great. But maybe on the other hand, maybe on the other hand, we've just been kind of drifting along and drifting away. Slowly but surely. Into a place of indifference. The water of death perhaps just heating up around us until now. Until now. And if that's you this morning, well, Jesus is with us. As surely as he was in the temple that day, he is here with us now, today. With us to recover and restore and return us to what we were always supposed to be with us to purify us and to make us holy and to make us his. Shall we come to him now in prayer? Let us pray for a moment. As we continue on through Lent and towards the cross, let us welcome Jesus. Let us welcome him afresh into our temple, into our church building, and into our own hearts.
to cleanse and purify us, to drive out death and to give us life, to drive out sin and to make us holy, to make us a people and a place of prayer, the word, inclusion, healing, and praise. Let's continue responding in prayer as we just take a moment in the silence to welcome Jesus afresh into our hearts or perhaps even to welcome him into our hearts for the first time. He wants to make you a temple of the living God. He's in town today. Maybe today's the day when you can welcome him in and let him make you all that you were supposed to be. Let's take a moment in the silence to respond as he leads us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your presence with us. Speaking to us by your word, moving amongst us by your spirit. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.